Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. It's Wednesday, November 15th, 2017. And today I wanted to just reflect a little bit about some thoughts that I've had subsequent to my conversation on Monday, actually, with Greg Thomas, who many of you know, he's a writer and scholar of black culture that writes a good bit on uh, integral life and uh, has written for the New Republic and is very well regarded <laughs> and, uh, and very smart. And Greg is a protege of Albert Murray, who is a top tier, you know, nationally known black scholar slash writer who wrote starting in the 60s. And he carried a counter narrative to the dominant progressive narrative on race relations. And um, I, I really didn't realize that this stream of black thought really existed and had such beautiful expression. It's really quite proto-integral as I look at it now. Uh, Murray explicitly rejected left-right labels. And um, as Greg writes, then I'll quote here, he worked for civil rights and valued activism and protest as tactical measures, but doubted the long-term political value of what he called the politics of moral outcry designed to induce guilt and fear in whites. And as he goes on, he says, producing guilt may or may not be fine, but stimulating intelligent action is better. An intelligent action always needs to have its way paved by a practical estimate of the situation. And this is what is interesting because his practical estimate is pretty broad. Uh, <clears throat> he critiqued the green social scientists, progressive social sciences, for leaving too much out of what he required for practical estimation. And he accused them of abstracting the lived lives of black folk. And I get that, abstracting the lived lives. A, a social science does that in general. There's a point to it. Uh, we look at the objective realities more than the interiors. But the downside is that it can reduce multidimensional human beings into, in this case, as Albert Murray pointed out, these big categories of victim and oppressor. And, um, and let me just as a, as a sidelight say that <clears throat> that's what Green does. It's actually Green's job and it's an important job to see that underlying human relations, <laughs> despite all of our high moral values and you know, big grand narratives, there's a fundamental power dynamics at work. And somebody has more than somebody else, and they are using it, and the other person's having it used on them. And, you know, Green sees that. Green wants to deconstruct all the grand narratives of history that brought us to ruin. And, um, and, and it sees history. It, 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 you know, it re reduces everything to power dynamics as the problem. And that's what, you know, monoperspectival stages do. And so Green sees history as just a series of dominator hierarchies where one group is oppressing the next. And again, that's an important truth, hallelujah for green, except that there's another piece 
And that's what I'm getting from this Albert Murray and this other stream of black intellectual thought. And that is that people, no matter what their station, are fully are fully inhabiting their lives. And I, I you know, I, I just pause there. Everybody's inhabiting their lives. They're loving, they're losing, they're hoping, they're being disappointed, they're trying and failing. And they're creating a culture with other people who are doing the same thing in the same boat. And that's rich, you know, that's deeply meaningful. And out of that is just, you know, sort of part of the deal is that we naturally love the land that we live on. And, you know, no matter how our ancestors got here, uh, we love our country, we love our God, no matter the sordid history of our religion, and that everybody's in, you know, this bigger human soup, no matter what your grandfather did to my grandfather, kind of thing. And, and that feels like a, a sort of a new uh, piece of the puzzle for me in terms of the whole racial conundrum that is post-green. And, you know, green does, you know, like I said, seizes the oppression, but it, it doesn't take it back all the way. It, it, it has this idea that indigenous peoples were living in this paradise and then white colonials came along. That's a pretty standard, you know, extreme green, if you will, but it, it informs green. It's that people's history green. And and I, I, I love uh, another intellectual that Greg quotes called, uh, his name is Stanley Crouch. And he writes about this. Um, and he, like Albert Murray, rejected the hard, fast categories of race in general that biologically were, you know, all mutts. And it's true. I mean, we, since their writing, have realized it with our, you know, genetic um, tests that we can do and all of that. But um, the Stanley Crouch writes about this. He says, we can no longer afford to traffic in simple-minded and culturally inaccurate terms like black and white. If they are meant to tell us anything more than loose descriptions of skin tone. And then I love this next line. He says, we are the results. We are the results of every human possibility that has ever touched us, no matter its point of origin. And that's basically an insight into karma and, you know, the winds of karma that have been blowing through generation after generation and coloring us, uh, but also rooting us in this same matrix. And I love this realization because, as I said, it feels like it's a way forward out of the green victim oppressor thing which I'm kind of arrested at, I realize. And, you know, I often end up in, you know, this awkward solicitous position of white guilt with, you know, people of color. And, you know, I don't want to throw that out. I mean, I want to notice the part of it is that's real, the white privilege part, that white privilege is a thing. It's a real thing. And I don't want to be mindlessly perpetuating it. But I also don't want to lay an unnecessary filter on another human being, you know. And I realize I have a little access to this being a gay guy. And, you know, my one green cred 
Uh, but, but I realized how bummed I would be if I was just seen as the gay guy and how that would be suffocating to me. And I'm sure it happens in situations I may not even be aware of. But a bigger realization is how about we all just be people too, you know, and race could be interesting and part of it, but let's just be people. And um, uh, Greg points out that one of the real seminal books from Albert Murray is a book called The Omni-Americans that he wrote in 1970, where he talks about how Americans of all people should be not be tied to these biological definitions of race. And that we are, you know, truly the, as he puts it, the heir to the best of culture from all times and all places, a global cosmopolitan conception. And as Greg writes, he demonstrated how and why black American culture is central to the American mainstream, despite social, economic, and political obstacles. And Murray saw African-American, this particular flavor of culture that's African-American. And I love that idea of just flavors because we want the, you know, we want the full flavor. We don't want it homogenized away, but, you know, we don't want to make everything too special either. So at any rate, it or everything is fully special. How about that? But as he said, the African-American flavor is exemplified by the blues which he described as a secular form of existential improvisation. So this secular form of the improvisation of existence, summed up by his phrase, elegant resilience, elegant resilience, which is a synonym for swinging in jazz and flow in hip hop. And this is a quote from Murray. He, he said, a definitive characteristic of the descendants of American slaves is an orientation to elegance. The disposition in the face of all the misery and uncertainty of the universe, the disposition in the face of all the misery and uncertainty in the universe, uncertainty in the universe, to refine all of human action in a direction of dance beat elegance. I submit that there is nothing that anybody in the world has ever done that is more civilized or sophisticated than to dance elegantly, which is to state with your total physical being an affirmative attitude toward the sheer fact of existence. And I love that. Uh, and, um, and, you know, that, that strain continues, the strain of, of black intellectual thought and uh, Greg points out that there's a, a, a term that is often used that he roots with Albert Murray, of, and it's called rooted cosmopolitanism. And I love that. It's, it's the sense, I, I, I think it's basically an integral term. It's the sense of cosmopolitan, I'm a citizen of the world. You know, all cultures are mine. And yet rooted, rooted in my particular piece of this earth and my particular community, and my particular, you know, situation here in the Colorado Rockies, whatever, and an American, and that, and a natural, a national rootedness. And so as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about, you know, this other integral project that I talk so much about, and that is 
you know, how do we integrate the Trump people? And, you know, this 30% of people who actually have this identity of deeply patriotic, uh, where heritage, you know, has the sort of mists of my ancestors, you know, and grandma at the holding the baby and mom at this mother at the stove and, you know, dad gutting a deer, you know, whatever it is. And, and just that feeling of flow and warmth that comes from being rooted in the ground, you know, and in, in, in your land. And, um, and so it made me think of a, um, you know, can, can we sort of pull these together? Can we all find this in common? And I thought of a, a, a column that David Brooks wrote a couple months ago called This American Land. And he was talking about the same thing. So I'm going to read a few paragraphs from this and comment on it. So this is David Brooks writing in the New York Times. He writes, we're living in the middle of a national crisis of solidarity, rising racial bitterness, pervasive distrust, political dysfunction. So what are the resources we can use to pull ourselves together? What can we draw upon to tell a better American story than the one Donald Trump tells? One that will unite us instead of divide us and yield hopeful answers instead of selfish ones. One resource is the land. From the nation's founding, Americans had a sense that their continent's vast and beautiful abundance gave their nation a unifying destiny and mission. And I'll just go on here. I'm, I'm certainly editing this, but uh, this is David Brooks. The biggest thing nature did was offer ideals. The biggest thing nature did was offer ideals. Different Americans came up with different character types for how to engage with nature. Each type offered a model for how to live an admirable life. So, you know, I'm an integral guy. I love this stuff, this types and categories and so forth. So here's his categories, but there's three of them. The first ideal or character type was the steward. This is the small yeoman farmer and the craftsman who lives close to the soil, self-reliant, upright, and humble. And then he quotes Wendell Berry talking about this ideal. And Wendell Berry writes, the name of our proper connection to the earth is good work. And I'll read that again. I think it's really profound. The name of our proper connection to the earth is good work. For good work involves much giving of honor. It honors the source of its materials. It honors the place where it is done. It honors the art by which it is done. It honors the thing that makes and the user of the made thing. I love that. It honors the thing that it makes and the user of the made thing. So that's the steward, this first ideal. And you sort of feel that. As an American, maybe people all over the world, you know, Americans have our flavor of that. And, you know, we can feel it as a, as a felt sense, you know, in our subtle bodies. So that's the one. The second ideal was the pioneer. This is the person who, this is David Brooks again. This is the person who pushes against the wilderness and develops skill, courage, and virility. 
This is the daring innovator who ushers progress by venturing to the edge of the known. And here he quotes Thoreau. And Thoreau writes, Life consists with wildness. The most alive is the most wild. Not yet subdued to man, to man, its presence refreshes him. One who presses forward would always find himself in a new country or wilderness and surrounded by the raw materials of life. He would be climbing over the prostate stem, prostrate stems of primitive forest trees. So the pioneer always out, you know, climbing over the prostrate stems of primitive forest trees. So the second ideal, the first, the steward, the second, the pioneer. And the third ideal is the elevated spirit. And as David Brooks writes, this is the person who slips off the conformist materialism of commercial society and is both, both purified and enlarged by his nature's grandeur. Slips off the conformist materialism of commercial society, okay? And is purified and enlarged by nature's grandeur. This is John Muir in Yosemite. This is Ansel Adams in the Grand Canyon. And Brooks writes, such an awakened soul often comes back singing with Walt Whitman, filled with electric love for the enlarged individual, celebrating the infinite variety of life, feeling part of an endless and ancient web of connections. And then he quotes Walt Whitman. Whitman writes, I will... I will plant companionship thick as trees along all the rivers of America and along the shores of the Great Lakes and all over the prairies. I will make inseparable cities with their arms around each other's necks by the love of comrades. That beautiful, Whitman's so great. So Brooks finishes by writing, these days, I often ask people what percentage of our nation's problems can be solved through policy and politics. Most people say that most of America's problems are pre-political. What's needed is a revival of values, fraternity, and a binding American story. I suspect some of the answers are to be found in reconnecting with our ancient ideals and reconnecting with the land. So... I thought that was pretty darn good. And, um, you know, I can hear the green progressive critique of that. It's like, well, yeah, that's the white people's story. You got, got it right for the white people, but that isn't the Native American or the African American story. That story was built in the backs of the Native American, African American, you know, all the minorities and oppressed peoples. And, you know, that piece of the truth is there, and that's well installed in most, you know, adequately green postmodern people. But what I'm realizing is that in deeply meaningful ways, it's actually every American story and every person's story, every human story. And the realization of that feels like it puts me in a new, more liberated territory. So. 
I'm grateful to Greg. I'm grateful to Albert Book or Albert Albert uh, Murray, and um, for some new thinking in this vexing conundrum of race relations. All right, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me on the Daily Evolver, and we will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. Bye, folks. Mm-hmm.